Good evening, everybody. It's my pleasure and privilege tonight to introduce to you Logan Cates. Logan is a good friend. He's been working over at Southwest for seven years now. And before that, was, was it before that you were at uh, Wilberton for three years as a campus minister down there? Uh, I've known seven years or so since you've been here. Meeting, met him down at the, the preacher's breakfast that we have uh, once a week down at the it was the Jimmy's Egg then, wasn't it? That was back in the old days. Uh, we get down there and chew the cud for a while on Thursday mornings as a bunch of preachers would. And I can tell you, among all the preachers I know, Logan has an excellent reputation. And that's something. When you can make a bunch of preachers happy and, and keep them on your good side, Logan's doing something right. I've been impressed with him as long as I have known him, and I don't see why I shouldn't be. I knew his grandfather uh, Jack Carter was up in Bear Valley as an adjunct professor while I was up there, taught us, one of the things he taught us was about personal evangelism, and I'll always remember your grandpa, he taught us, when you find somebody who has the least interest in the gospel, I want that to be like a, a thread of yarn to a little kitten, and I remember him talking about that, because he was a great big burly guy, and he's talking about a little kitten and a piece of yarn when you find somebody who has, has an interest in the gospel, but that was, that was Logan's grandfather, and Logan is off that same tree. And you know what they say, the nuts don't fall far from the tree. <laughs> Logan also has, uh, he's got a bachelor's from OSU. So all you OSU fans, here's an OSU grad. But he also has a, a master's. At his young age, he's got a master's from Bear Valley, which is my alma mater. So he's great on two counts there. He's got four children, and his good wife, Summer, uh, helps him raise their family. And I've been impressed with each one of his kids. You can tell a lot about a guy from their kids, and he's got good kids. It is so good to be here. I, this is the first time I've been to Choctaw, and, and I am so thankful for this opportunity. And Marty, that was a great introduction, buddy. I didn't expect that much. But I appreciate Marty and, and getting to know Mike better, and, and uh, the breakfast is a wonderful time to share together. I know, know Nadine and, uh, and a few others from the from the Southwest and knowing you from, from that congregation and visiting with you guys. And so I'm so thankful to, to be here tonight. And, uh, I do appreciate the opportunity to sit next to Marty sometimes during breakfast and listen to him eat. I mean, listen to him talk. And, uh, he, he is such a great, uh, helpful guy when it comes to when a young minister is trying to do work. And, and I appreciate Marty and Mike both. In fact, the topic that I was given tonight, uh, what the, what the church or what the ministers need to hear? Which one was it? Okay, not not y'all. I'm not going to talk about y'all then tonight. We're we're going to talk about what the church needs to hear. Which when I read that, I thought that was such a great topic. And I've never heard of a summer series. I'm young, but I've never heard of a summer series on that topic. What the church needs to hear. And I kind of thought, wow, that's pretty cool. My topic tonight that I kind of wanted to focus on is called the greatest classes I ever sat in. So I want us to be thinking about that. Turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Uh, the man that was up here helping uh, lead the, the young men and, and the singing, I think I just want to state when I was about eight years old, um, a man just like Harold, is that, was, is that, was, was that his name? Was up here in, in Hilton, Oklahoma. I don't know if anybody ever heard of that place, but I was, me and my family were there, and I stood up in front of the congregation shaking, and, and, uh, and I just want to tell you emphatically, that's one of the reasons I'm here. That's one of the reasons I'm a song leader. It's one of the reasons I'm a preacher. It's one of the reasons the encouragement that younger men receive is so powerful. 
I just want to state to you all, that is such a blessing. Such a blessing. Philippians chapter 4, just to get us started off, uh, read verse 11 there with me. Not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. And in every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, of both having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. When I think about this passage, and if you look at how many times Paul says, I know, I know, I know, he also says, I learned, I learned, I learned. Men who do not exalt God or do not exalt Jesus Christ don't have a church. They can raise up a sign and want a congregation, but if you don't exalt Jesus Christ as the head, Ephesians 1.22, you're not going to have a congregation. And when I think about us exalting God, and when we think about some of the greatest lessons that we've ever heard or been part of in our lives, we should constantly be thinking about what's going to benefit the congregation. What's going to, what's going to build us up and encourage us as, as a body in Christ? Jesus, like I said, is the head of the church, and so uh, it, how glorious it is to be part of that congregation I also admire how you guys are kind of pushed back here. I think that's wonderful. Last week, my dad called me in McAllister. He leads singing down there. And he said he was standing way at the front. And he said, if y'all don't mind, come on down. And they didn't do it. So I really think that's great. There's some great teachers out there. There's one of them sitting behind me over there, Brother Dayton. There's some great Bible teachers out there, great sound Bible teachers out there. You mentioned I graduated from OSU. I I wasn't sure he was going to announce that or not, but I am an OU football fan. I know that kind of messes things up. but, But, you know, I sat in some great classes at OSU, some great classes. Uh, For for instance, I loved geometry. I loved, I went on to trigonometry. I hated algebra, but I liked trig. I, I was kind of a messed up student there. But there's some great classes that you learn from. In my Bear Valley classes, I sat in some great classes of some great teachers like uh, Stafford North. You've sat under his classes before. Uh, Earl Edwards from Freed Hardman and on and on. William Woodson. So many great teachers, inspiring teachers that get us and inspire us to do more and challenge us to study more. But you know, as I was starting off as a minister about 10 years ago, I begin to realize that there's a lot of things that we won't learn in a class. There's a lot of things that, for instance, that I had to learn on my own, not in a classroom setting. So there be, there's the beginning, the best classes I've ever sat in. When I think about education, I think about Paul, how, he, how young he probably was when he was learning the Old Testament maybe five years old, and I, and I have a five-year-old daughter, and we're trying to teach her the memory verses, and she keeps saying the one from last week. I think about Paul learning, you know, learning Greek, um, you know, or, or going to learn under Gamaliel in Jerusalem. All the things that he learned, what would he say would be the greatest class that he ever sat in in life, the greatest teacher he ever had? That's why we turn to that passage there, because he's t- talking about what he knows and what he's learned. Contentment is a great thing to learn. I know he was a tent maker, as it says in Acts chapter 18, and, and along with Priscilla and Aquila. You know, there's, some, there's several changes that we're seeing in, in universities and schooling and education today. Uh, if you go back and look at, for instance, Harvard University, 
started in, I don't remember exactly what year, but several years ago, one of the biggest and most uh, expensive privately owned universities. Did you know that when the year that they started, it was actually founded uh, by an estate left to a preacher, by a preacher, and their theme or their motto at the time was for Christ and the church. It's changed. <laughs> 50 years ago, they, they now, this says here, their quote 50 years ago, modern university can no longer accept Christianity as the unifying force in its curriculum. I wish we could sit down with some of our Christian universities in the past and present that, you know, that teach young men how to preach and train young men and young ladies. And I thought, you know, if we could sit in a bo- on a board and meet with them and say, Please understand your responsibility as you teach the scriptures, as you teach the Bible. And be careful about who, the, who you're bringing in to teach. Because it's so important. So important. I want to talk four different classes. Four different topics. Four different classes that I've sat in. The best class I've ever sat in. It's not in a room like a classroom. It's not where desks and, you know, teachers and students and sharpening pencils and books and papers and all that. The first class I want to talk to you about when I started off uh, 10 years ago, I, I, I thought I'm not going to be any good at this. I'm not the one to do this. Surely there's somebody better and it's visitation. Visitation. There was a man in our congregation at Southwest. His name was Bobby Butler. He's gone now. But he let me come and he, he grabbed me one morning and he said, get in my truck. We're going to go and we're going to visit people all day today. So I did and, and, uh, and we went all over. He, he delivered Meals on Wheels to, to 40 or so different people and they still do that at Southwest every day, Monday through Friday. And then he would go out and he would visit all these people during the afternoon and, and he was retired. That's what he did. It's what he chose to do. And when he took me in his truck and did that, I asked him questions about it, and he said, I love it so much. One of the best classes I ever sat in, y'all. One of the best lessons I've ever heard. Let me tell you why. Because when we, when we, when we visit people, I learn more about myself than I do about the other person. Now think about that. When you knock on someone's door, and you, and, they open, and, and you open the door, a hospital, a nursing home, wherever it might be, even their own home, you learn so much about yourself, especially at my age. Because they, they look excited to see you. Uh, one man last week was, was, was not excited to see me. And I said, well, I'll come back later. But their, their fears, they're, they're right there before you. I, they say, I don't want to break my hip, but it happened. And Will you please go and, and take care of my wife? I can't be home with her right now. And so they, and there's just so many things that I learned in visitation. I learned more about myself. The hardest, the hardest visit I ever made, and Marty and Mike know that, the hardest visit I ever made. It's a lady in a nursing home that uh, her, her eyes were still there. She could still see, but her body was failing. And I walked out the room, and as I walked down the hall, she was screaming, Logan, please come back and pray with me. And so I had to go in three or four times, and I left there crying. But you know what? I, I, I realized something at that point. People need us. They don't necessarily need a minister. They just need somebody to pray with them. They need somebody to be with them. And that's one of the greatest classes I've ever sat in. 
And it's just as simple as that. It's biblical. It's right. God wants us to do that and bear one another's burdens and so fulfill. You know, there's just so many things that we can do in the body. And that was one of the greatest classes I've ever sat in. When we think about that class and what it teaches us, it teaches us service. It taught me humility. It teaches us the value of the family. It teaches us priorities. It, t- it taught me um, how to develop in my faith. It, ta- it taught me how to, in a way, spiritual maturity. It teaches loving your neighbor as yourself. It teaches developing our faith. Here's our faith and developing that into action. And that's just one of the classes that I wanted to talk about tonight. Did Jesus teach this? He taught it well, didn't he? I think of that word uh, servant, which is doulos. And Paul said, I am the doulos of Jesus Christ. That's the bond servant, the bond slave. And we are, we, we live so grateful of our freedom in Christ that we, we become that, that voluntary bond servant, that bond slave, like in Romans 6, 17 and 18. If you want to be Christ-like, serve in the body. And Paul said, have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, Philippians 2 and verse 5. We have a biblical pattern for us to, to make sure that we check on those that are in need. Uh, somebody called me yesterday and said, you haven't been to see me in a while. <laughs> well, I'll be over there as soon as I can. We need to be seeing each other. You know, if you don't even count what Jesus says, if you just look at his, uh, look at his actions, for instance... And you think about what he did. Imagine the, the books and pages of material that Jesus wrote when he kneels down before his disciples and washes their feet. Here's our, our Savior, you know, the ransom, the mediator God here washing the disciples' feet, washing the dirt off their feet. That speaks volumes about what, should, what we should be as Christians. He said, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. One of the, Marty mentioned my grandfather. I just want to say one of the reasons I believe that, that I'm here today is because someone in the early 1900s went and knocked on my great-grandfather's door. He wasn't a Christian. And they talked to him about the gospel. It truly converted him. He had three boys. All three boys became gospel preachers. One of them's my grandfather. There's 68 people on my mother's side of the family that are faithful to the Lord's church, two that aren't. Is there power in going like this on somebody's door or at the hospital? Absolutely. And I can't stress it enough. I can't stress that enough. I watch Lewis, Hale, and Ruth. I'll see how many times they invite people into their home. I think every Sunday they have people, uh, you know, and you guys might do that also. I think that's so wonderful. That's so wonderful. How long has it been since you have helped someone in need, spoke with them like that, or, or you know, maybe you skipped that class. Don't skip that class. Another class, number two, that I've sat in that's very memorable is listening. I don't know about you, but when my, when my mouth is going, I'm not listening, <laughs> I'm not hearing anything. And, and one of the things that I really like about the minister's breakfast is when, when, when Marty comes and he sits down and, I, and I'm talking to Marty and I said, Marty, I got this sermon idea. I don't know if it's going to work. And I think one time he's like, oh, I don't know about that one, Logan. But there's been, you know what? 
He listens. He listens to you. I don't. I think he does. He listens and he takes time to hear what you're saying. And as a young minister, that that is priceless for me. And I appreciate people that listen. Don't you? Have you ever been part of a congregation or a, or a conversation where where somebody's talking and you keep trying to uh, and they and, they, and they're just not an opportunity. We can take time to listen, don't we? Listening is is one of those great classes that we sit in because we need to listen more. And uh, turn with me to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 3. I, I want us to see something here. Samuel is young here. 1 Samuel chapter 3. If you can turn there with me. He's young here. And if you look at chapter 3 and chapter 7, here is kind of his life in, in, in brackets. In chapter 3, he's young. And then as you move through in the Ark of the Covenant in 4, 5, and 6, and then you get to the chapter 7 and he's old. But if you look at chapter 3, verse 1 with me, read along with me. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. Not many visions. Interesting, isn't it? Kind of maybe like that God wasn't speaking because no one was listening. The word of the Lord was rare. And Samuel's name, I always like to look at names his, it means what? Does anybody know? Anybody remember what his, what his name means? It means God has heard her. God has heard who? Hannah. So Samuel is the one who listens to God. And, and, and Samuel hears the word of the Lord. And because of that, he's going to be fit to be their leader. Now look at verse 10. The Lord came and stood there calling Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel replies, speak for your servant is what? Listening. Listening. He's a servant of God, listening to God. Samuel is the one that's going to be anointing a new king. And you know, Samuel's choice might not be God's choice, right? It might not be. And so when I think about listening to the word of God in the same way, I'm not going to to make good decisions if I don't listen to God. Samuel's choice might not be God's choice, so therefore Samuel needs to listen to God. And we need to listen to the word of God. What happens when we don't listen to the word of God? You know what? We start saying those two words, I feel. Well, I feel like, and that's what happens. But if we listen to the word of God, we answer with, well, the Bible says, and there's a complete difference. A complete difference. So then the Lord says to Samuel, after Samuel's ready to listen, I'm about to do something in Israel there that's going to make their ears tingle. But then if you look at 3-1, the word of the Lord was rare. And then you look at 4-1, flip over to 4 verse 1. Because Samuel listens, the word went out to all Israel. And you see the power of listening. A simply listening. New life in Israel was because they listened to God. How crucial is it and how important is it that we listen to God? James says we need to be quick to speak or quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry. I love the, the words of James, one of my favorite books. As a minister, I have to be a good listener. Marty has to be, Mike has to be good listeners. But more than that, as Christians, we've got to be good listeners. And it's hard because we live in a busy, busy world. And you know what? I don't have my phone with me. Luckily, it would ring probably. But you know how many times I, I, I'm talking to someone and they're, and they're, and they're texting or, and, and you're like, are you listening to me? And, and then we feel like God is saying the same thing, doesn't he? Are you listening to me? 
So it's something to think about. How many of us have skipped that class on listening? Are you listening to God's word? Are you spending time listening to to others? Or someone once said 200 years ago, the clocks were on the the outside of the church building so everyone would know what time and they don't want to be late. And now they're on the inside, so we want to make sure and leave. You know, things have changed sometimes. We're always in a hurry. I'm always in a hurry. Sometimes we just got to slow down and listen to people. I need to be a better listener. It's a great class when we sit and listen to people. Some congregations, I think, out there become, oh, I guess, bored with the gospel. And they get tired of listening to the scriptures. And they want to add more and add more and add more of this or that. And, and, I, and maybe it's just they become bored with just listening to the Bible. How long has it been since you've sat and listened to God's word? How long has it been? Do you think the church needs to hear that? Absolutely. Number three. Another class. This, this class uh, it was not, is kind of an odd one. It wasn't in the States. <laughs> a few weeks ago, I went to Peru and on a mission trip, and we, we were able to knock doors every day for, a, for seven days with some Peru preachers over there, Peruvian preachers. And that was really something. I'd never been overseas, never been on a mission trip, and, and I came back just in awe. I was just like, wow. But one of the preachers, the first day I was there, came up and asked me, and he said, uh, you're a pretty big guy. Just down there, I was really big. But he said, you're a pretty big guy. He said, do you think you could come down to the Peru prison with me and, uh, and talk to a brother there that needs encouragement? And I kind of stuttered around. Uh, uh, well, I'd never been to a prison before, not even in the uh, United States. And he said, oh, he goes, it's not a big deal. I've been scared to go there, but I'd just like for you to go with me. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> so I went down there and said yes. We went to the prison 30 miles or so in the desert. And we get there, and, and we're looking for Roberto. We go through seven gates before we enter into the prison, which really scared me. Because all these gates had guards, and they stamp your arm with every gate that you go through. And we get in there, and we're looking for Roberto, and I've got a translator with me. It's very confusing. I uh, don't know where to go. And we finally get thrown into this big room, about the size of this room. And, and all the guards are on the outside of the fence. And all the hundred or so prisoners are on the inside. Anyway, to make a long story short, Roberto comes up and he gives us all hugs. <clears throat> and uh, very thankful that we came to see him. I was picturing us sitting down in his cell just trying to encourage him and help him. But he leads us into this room where all these chairs were lined up and there's a little podium at the front. And the Peruvian preacher said, cease, but preach, preach. Oh, okay. <laughs> didn't realize that. I didn't, I didn't think that it was Sunday. It was their worship service in the prison. Roberto, the man we went to see, gets up there and he opens a songbook much like we did in Spanish and we sang these two songs. I knew the tune, didn't know the words, they were, but we, we sang together. I'm sitting on the front row with my translator and a couple of the Peru preachers and we sang hymns together. After two songs, another man gets up there and tells him to sit down and said, it's my turn. And he brings a drum up to the front. And they sang and made a lot of noise. And we didn't participate. Afterwards, Brother Roberto walks up to the front. And I told the translator, make sure and tell me what he's saying. And Roberto said, you're all wrong for what you just did. I've preached to you about this, about the authority in the scriptures. And I've spoken to you about emotion and good emotion and bad emotions in worship. And you're wrong for what you're doing. 
And here's a group of men, probably 50 or 60 men. Roberto has uh, been threatened life because of his teaching. He's converted one guard, and that's how he's able to, to start the worship service off there. And as I went home, I, I thought a lot about that. In fact, that night we came back together there in Peru, and we had a worship service, and they, they asked me to speak on, on my experience there. And, and I just stood up there, and I just said, I met a Paul today. Folks, what I want to ask you tonight in this next class is, could you stand up in front of a bunch of prisoners on your own and tell them what they're doing is not biblical? Could you do that? I, I, I left there. I was trying to encourage Roberto, but I felt so encouraged when I left there because here's a brother trying to do it. We had to pay to get out of the prison, by the way. That was interesting. <laughs> they, when they see Americans, they think money, and, and that's just their culture, but... But anyway, to make a long story short, here's my question for us all. Can people in other countries rely on us to preach the gospel? As we get off the plane to, to, the, to America, I, I see people, you know, you're, you're studying with people in their homes with dirt floors. And then you, you, you see people in America fighting over the Starbucks line and complaining because it's so long. Just complete culture shock if you've ever been on a mission trip. But I want to ask the question in this, in this third class, are we preaching the gospel and can Roberto rely on me to do it here? If you haven't had an opportunity to find a way to preach the gospel, to go out and do that, there's so many different ways. I see the technology here. That's fantastic. Another way to get the gospel out there. The last class I want to turn your attention to is not our favorite. <laughs> it brings us thoughts of joy is our mistakes. Our mistakes teach us a lot, don't they? My mistakes have taught me a whole lot. <laughs> I, I remember trying to lead a song one time with the wrong words and the, and the right music. You know, there's so many mistakes that we make throughout life, and they become, they should become our teachers. I, I picture Nathan talking to David, using that illustration. He says, David, no, you're the man. You're the guy I'm talking about. Or I picture Peter when he, is, uh, when the, when he hears that rooster crow. Oh, and his shoulders, and he, and he, can you imagine being Peter? I just denied the Lord three times. And, and feeling that weight on your shoulder, we've all felt that kind of, oh, I wish I hadn't have done that. And if you were Peter and that rooster crowed, could you look Jesus in the eye? Friends, we, we're Peter sometimes, aren't we? We, we make mistakes. And I want to state to us all that die to yourself and say, I was wrong. I made a mistake. I spoke too fast. I jumped to, to conclusions. I, I jumped the gun. I assumed too much. I, whatever it was, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. Grandfather was telling me about 72 people he saw go forward one time in a congregation. You know, we, we need to bring back repentance because it's biblical, not because we just want to see people repent. It's biblical to come forward and, 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 for, and ask for forgiveness and say, I made a mistake. And that's what our mistakes should lead us to do. And we carry that weight on our shoulders. But most importantly, what do our mistakes teach us? Number one, I think they, to recognize our mistakes. You know, when I picture Peter uh, cursing and, and swearing, I don't know the man. 
I don't know the man. Try to, try to recognize our mistakes before that point, right? Before the rooster crows. Think about to say, I was wrong. No, 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 wait. And sometimes you might say, honey, honey, <laughs> I was wrong. I remember when I was three years old, I filled up my parents' car with water. Filled it to the brim with that water hose. I just, and then when I was 14, I filled a diesel tractor with gas. It seems like I never learned that. <laughs> but our mistakes teach us a lot. And we need to be able to say those two words, I'm wrong. In a marriage, fellas, I'm going to talk to the fellas because I'm going to tell you right now, it's hard for us sometimes to say, you know what, I'm wrong. My dad used to not help my mom in the kitchen. Now he does. I used to watch him for years, never, never did anything. Went to college, came back, and I just stood there. <laughs> There's dad at the dishwasher putting the dishes in. Sometimes, fellas, we just got to bend, you know, cower power like, like, you know, the Matthew 5. Blessed are the meek, and sometimes just get in there and help. And I've learned that. And after we've recognized our mistakes, remorse and regret teach us a lot too. To have remorse and regret for those mistakes, to, to relinquish our mistakes may not be good enough. That's too easy. But to actually say, I'm wrong, and true repentance, true Change comes about with that godly sorrow, 1 Corinthians 7.10. When godly sorrow happens, I I always hear somebody say about the 3,000 that were baptized at Pentecost, but what else happened? They repented too, didn't they? They changed. What a glorious sight to see 3,000 people also saying, you know, being cut to the heart, pricked in their heart, knowing they were wrong. And then we take responsibility for it. We make restitution Go back to the Old Testament about the offering, the trespass offering. You know, they made restitution. They made it right. In Matthew chapter 5, it talks about how you, before you go to your offering, you, you go and you have a problem with your brother, you go to your brother first and then bring your offering. Make things right first. Make things right first. I'm not always perfect with that, but we should try to always make things right. Make it right. And this is heartfelt commitment to the best of our ability And true honor is someone that looks back at those mistakes and and recognizes them and changes them. Go back to Peter for a second. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4 with me. Read along with me there in verse 1 and 2. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose. Because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for the lusts of the men, but for the will of God. And you think about who's saying this. No longer live in the lust of men. And that's Peter, the one who's made mistakes, remember? The one who denied Jesus. The one who told our Lord, I love you three times passionately. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Our mistakes should urge us to a renewal and a recovery. And Luke later records Peter's boldness at Pentecost in Acts 4.13. It says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. They marveled and they realized that they'd been with Jesus. Though Peter's life, we see the mistakes that he made. Here he's boldly proclaiming the word of God. Boldly proclaiming the word of God. I was talking to a few ministers recently, and one of them said, 
Logan, when are they going to find out I'm a fraud? (laughs) He said, I've lived a life of mistakes. And I said, no, look at what we do now. You know, somebody said, well, what about that prisoner? Was he guilty or innocent? Look at what he's doing. If he's guilty, he's serving his time. If he's innocent, maybe he'll get out. But look at what he's doing while he's there. In conclusion, I want to remind you of the four classes of life that have been very, very beneficial to me. And it's our visitation, our care upon other members, listening skills, thirdly, going out and preaching the gospel, and then lastly there are mistakes that teach us a whole lot. They teach us a whole lot. Now for the homework. You didn't think I was going to give homework. This week... I plead with you, go see someone, go listen to someone, go preach the gospel to someone, and if you make a mistake, just keep on going. I said a few weeks ago in a sermon, I said, we got to be preaching the gospel. (laughs) Several mistakes in sermons, Marty, I know you've had them, I know, Mike, we all make mistakes and they're funny and they're goofy sometimes, but we got to keep going, though. Lewis says, just keep on going, Logan. Don't even just keep on going. But you know, our human condition today is just the opposite of that. What, what society is telling us to do today is, is visit no one. Don't listen to anyone but yourself. Don't go out into all the world. Stay at home, and you don't make any mistakes. You see, it's just the opposite. And Satan is really good at trying to get us to do the opposite. The new Pepsi ad is, uh, I, can't, I think it says, live for now. Not biblical. It's a meme world out there, and I just challenge all of you tonight. Don't get caught up in it. Before I close, I want to say something. I was uh, last week in our congregation. We sang that song, "When Peace Like a River Attendeth My." Um, it is well with my soul. And Lord, haste the day when the faith shall be sight, and the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, and the trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend. It is well. With my soul. I hope it's well with your soul tonight. When I think about Paul, and and we're looking at at that passage in Philippians 4, how all these things that he's learned, and how he was, somebody said he was unstoppable. Because if you leave him free, he's going to convert the world. If you you leave him free, he'll convert the world. If you put him in jail, he's going to convert the guard. If you put him in prison, he's going to write the Bible. And if you kill him, you're going to do him a favor because you put him one step closer to Jesus Christ. We need to be unstoppable in the same way. Unstoppable. I have a hope for heaven. Let's all preach the gospel with be unstoppable because of our hope for heaven and the glory that, you know, I think about so much our our task here on this earth. Be unstoppable, folks. Unstoppable. Preach the word. Paul learned what he learned because he took the opportunity to learn. Some of you might be sitting in a, in a class of suffering right now. Some of you might be sitting in a, in a time of discouragement. Relatives that aren't Christians. Grandchildren, children that have strayed. Maybe all kinds of struggles of pain and peril of all kinds. Have you ever had somebody come up to you and say, well, I understand what you're going through, but they really didn't? Have you ever had somebody come up and tell you, well, I know what you, what you no. You really don't. But who does? Jesus. Jesus knows what we're going through. He was there. He suffered pain, agony, 
He came here and he died and crucified so that we might have life through his blood, his name. I encourage all of you to remember the classes that you take in life and the lessons that we learn. And I hope that I've helped us all and encouraged us all in that way. Would you pray with me? Holy Father, we thank you. We cannot express your love and blessings adequately in the sending of your Son. We give you praise and we pray that the, we always preach what congregations need to hear. We pray that we can go see our brothers and sisters and listen to them, that we can go into all the world and learn from our mistakes. Most of all, we pray that we, we cover ourselves in the illumination of your word, that we stay in our daily Bible reading schedules and that we always go back to our reading and studying. And we're thankful for this congregation and what a joy it is to, to be united here and going the same direction, the same faith. We're thankful for their leadership, their great attitudes. In Jesus' name that we pray, amen.